Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Double Hoppy Podcast, episode 83, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast. And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. This week, we are very excited to welcome Clayton from Homa Brews. He is a Pennsylvania home brewer and Cicerone specializing in British and Irish beers. So welcome, Clayton. We're excited to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're excited to hear what you've been up to. So as we always start off with our homebrew interviews, what got you into homebrewing? What's your story? I, I actually had a buddy of mine who, who kind of got me into it. He Honestly, he just called me up one day, and he was brewing in his garage. He's like, hey, man, you want to come hang out? Yeah, and I went over and saw the process, and I was like, man, that's 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 really cool. This was back in, like, 2016, so I uh, I got my own, my own like, extract kit for the first time. And I gave it a whirl and had, had fun. It was like a one-gallon kit. And then, but during that time in my life, I was, I was moving around for work a lot. So I like, didn't have the, the opportunity to really like get into the nitty gritty. So then from like 2017 to 2018, I was, I was traveling a lot for work, but like I knew like homebrewing was something I really wanted to get back into. So just for honestly, like two years, I, I just kind of like studied it, watched, I think every YouTube video that there was about it, just every website I can get a hold of, like, uh, especially the Brewlosophy guys, shop about Barclay Perkins. And then when I, when I got home in 2019, I knew what I wanted to do and just kind of took off from there. Now, did you have the take of you just wanted to continue making the beer kits and kind of see where it went? Or after that first beer kit, you were kind of hooked to home brewing and you just wanted to go big? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> it, was, it was right away. I think I did three extract kits before. I was like, you know what, I want to. I think I want to start making my own recipes and, you know, having my own successes and failures, you know, like it was, you know, it was cool to like, you know, make you know, good beer with your kits, but you know, it's something I wanted to make my own. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely kind of just went, went big pretty quick. So was your first kit experience one where the beer was drinkable or undrinkable? I, it wasn't bad. It was, <laughs> I, it was the, uh, the caribou slobber. I think that's like most oh. people's first kits. I think it's like, it's a brown ale. So mm. You have a lot of wiggle room, like with a with a brown ale. I, you know, it's there's there's enough to hide behind if if it does if you didn't do everything perfect. True. And so, did you jump right into the full blown brewing setup, or kind of how did your setup progress over time? I honestly, I I tried everything. I started stovetop, and then I moved to propane, moved to electric. You know, brewing then brewing a basket, went back to electric, brewing a bag, and uh, that's that's kind of what I do now. Is I actually I've desized a little bit between three and five gallon batches, electric brewing a bag now. In what system are you brewing on? I'm on Anvil Foundry, which is nice because actually in uh, in 2020 when I was home brewing a lot, just because you know we all all of a sudden had a lot more free time. I kind of moved my batch sizes down to, to like two and a half gallons. Cause like, man, I want to brew more, you know, drinking five gallons at a time is, is, you know, can be a challenge. A um, yeah. so, <laughs> so I was like, you know, I, you know, that way there's two and a half gallons, like kind of like a pilot program. Like I can test out recipes more. If it doesn't turn out great, then, you know, I'm, I don't feel bad you know, wasting five gallons. Mm -hmm. And then uh, honestly, it just, I never really went back to, to larger batches. I, I bought three gallon kegs, so for the most part, all my all my recipes and all my all my batches are, are three gallons. Unless I'm brewing for like a festival or, or an event or something, I can still bump it up to five gallons. But between you and me, like there's nothing really I really want five gallons or like two cases of at a time. Like I I want to I want to change it up every so often. Right. Also, the hassle of trying to either can or bottle or even keg that much beer it's kind of overwhelming. 
So I, I, I do think it's interesting that it seems to be now the trend of home brewers instead of bigger, bigger, bigger. I think you also have the 50% of home brewers now that are kind of have done those bigger batches and now have kind of wanting to experiment with different style beers. So instead of bat doing five or 10 gallon batches, they're doing one to five mm -hmm. gallon batches at max, which I think is a great strategy to do to try and hone in your skills. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm just getting more reps in with more batches. My brew day is faster because um, I'm running on like a 110 instead of 220. So just like yeah. getting your getting your water up to strike temperature, getting it up to boil. Yes, there's smaller batches. You know, you just get more get more reps. And that's using what electric capabilities you have, right? Do you also have the capability of doing the 220, 240 volt, or you're just on the standard household outlet for the U.S. Uh, so when I, I, I would brew in my laundry room and I could do, I could do the, the 220, but I just, I, I preferred the garage just cause I could make more of a mess in there if we're being honest. So instead of running a 220 out there, I just, I just kept it on the 110, but in smaller batches, especially with, with the electric systems, you can set the timer. So like you wake up in the morning and your strike water's ready. So I'm, I'm, I'm usually mashed in before I even finish my first cup of coffee. And then the only real weight is just from your mash temperature to your, to your boil temp. Yeah. Now, when you were brewing in the laundry room, did the smell of the beer ever transfer into your clothes that I, were, I, were like, I hope so. I feel like that you're washer. onto something, Shannon. I feel like if I could get my clothes to smell like a brewery when they mashing in, oh my gosh. Um, so I, I only got away with that a few times. Uh, girlfriend, <laughs> bless her heart. She is, she's super supportive of my brewing, but she kind of gave me the talking to about like, let's, let's keep that in the garage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For ventilation yeah. purposes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when it's, when it gets too, too, too cold. She allows, she allows you to bring it inside. <laughs> yes, very much. <laughs> she's just going to be careful because, you know, if you move your brewing stuff to the garage, that means you could do a garage takeover or trickle into the basement, and then you end up with our setup that we have at our house. Yeah. We, we actually, uh, it, it's funny you mentioned that. We bought this house last year. We were living in it for two years prior. We were, we were renting prior before we bought it. And I told her, I was like, you can have, you know, the bedroom. She, she works from home. So like she has the upstairs office, the living room. I was like, do whatever you want to it. Girl it up, make it, you know, make it pretty. <laughs> Just let me have the basement and the garage. And she's, and she was like, fine, for real, like sign for that in blood, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> And then wait, you could get your garage almost heated. Wait, you could put a whole six tap system in your garage. Wait, what? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I do still try to park in there. So uh, <laughs> I have figured out a, a pretty good system to, to convert it to brewery mode in, in about 20 minutes. So. That's pretty oh, that's quick. Cool. That's pretty quick. Yeah. Just press a button and it just like flips, you know, like the evil layers, kind of how it's like hidden under the floor. The storage unit <laughs> just pulls out oh. and then it's just all the brewing equipment. That'd instead. Be nice? That would be a cool... I, oh, I'm man, sure I, someone would wait. make that. I'm sure someone would make that. Or, oh, yeah. Oh, like, I would love it. Like secret bookcase, but brewery. Someone, yeah. Or a secret <laughs> toolbox, and it pops out, and it's just all your brewing equipment. That would be cool. Now I'm just I mean, giving James ideas. Yeah, don't give me more ideas. You're, you're giving me ideas. <laughs> don't tell your girlfriend I said that. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> She's going to be like, where'd you get this idea from? Well, speaking oh. of your brewing equipment, do you have a favorite piece of equipment? Ooh, good question. So my, my, my favorite, like silly little piece of equipment is, uh, you guys familiar with the tilt, the, the mm -hmm. tilt hydrometer. I really love that. I, I really love that little thing. I love the stats. I love, you know, I, I love seeing like how, how it's going, especially because I have an old iPad that I keep near it that it goes Bluetooth to that iPad. Absolutely. And, yep. And then it hooks into the Wi-Fi, And so then I can, 
I can obsess about my fermentation from work, you know, like, oh, you need to drop two more points in the past three hours or, you know. That sounds familiar. Yep. That's, ex- <laughs> that's Clayton, that's exactly what I would do, except for the part at work. I wouldn't be able to do it at work. But just the fact of tilt, like if you're into that data like collection and really trying to hone in like your fermentation without actually taking gravity readings every time manually, like it's a great tool to kind of give you a basis. I wouldn't necessarily go by if you're really obsessing over what your gravity is. I wouldn't go by that and then, all right, I'm going to go right to keg. I would still take a manual reading just to confirm. Um, Absolutely. But I thought that was a great product as well. But I don't really use it as much now, I'm finding. Now that new beers, I am. Beers that I've kind of experimented with before and kind of know the fermentation track of the yeast or the style that I'm brewing, I tend not to anymore. I'll take a manual reading before and after. But, you know, I think it's a great tool, like you said. For, for sure, and especially with small batches, because I mean, if you're taking a whole hydrometer yeah. sample size, you know how many, you know, 250 milliliters at a time. If you do that a couple times, I mean, you're you're losing, you know, almost a, you know, a quarter of your of, of your of your beer right there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have one, but I can fit multiple fermenters like in my freezer. So I will usually put it in the one that, that I want to monitor more closely. So if it's a recipe I'm familiar with, comfortable with, it, it is nice for like diagnosing like for, for troubleshooting. You know, if you have a you have a logger that's like kind of stalling out a little bit early, like okay, now I know I got to bump the temperature up a little bit, maybe give it a little shake. And if it's really stalling out, like on a big beer, like man, do I want to do I want to pitch something else? You know, so it's it, it's yeah. it's nice to know instead of having to lift up your fermenter and take a sample from the bottom every time. Yeah, and as a cicerone as well, I'm sure you are more particular on, for example, the British and Irish styles that you were mentioning earlier of really honing in a certain aroma or flavor or can you kind of talk us through as being a cicerone and taking those exams kind of what's that done to your home brews the thing i always liked about the uh, english beers are that, that they are they are pretty simple they're like they're typically single infusions but the thing to me that that gives you know english beer its character is that is that estuary profile that, that you get from from english yeasts so i like to do mine like slightly warmer just to kind of you know exaggerate those those flavors yeah, so I, I I really enjoy that 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 English ester profile. Traditional hops, you know, the the fuggles and EKG. Yeah, and just, and just study, studying that program. That was actually one of the reasons that I that I got into into home brewing was like, there's there like well, wasn't a ton of examples of like British beers that you can find locally that mm-hmm. that one like are like are around here or two have have traveled well. Mm-hmm. Usually, when you find like an actual British beer, you know they're you know, who knows how long they've been sitting on it? Like they don't, they don't rotate yeah. <laughs> out a lot. So, so I was like, man, like I don't know, like what fresh examples of these beers really taste like. Since then, we, we've kind of lucked out. We've had a couple of breweries around here that have, uh, they've really leaned into English styles. So, you know, I get craft representations of, of those beers now too, which is, which is, you know, lucky me. Yeah, and when you're brewing those styles now, we had mentioned the tilt. Is that really help you because these are typically lower ABV beers? So are you, do you try and cut off fermentation at a certain point so you get that targeted ABV or is it really the green bill itself that provides really the max capability of say up to four or 5% ABV? So it it depends on style. So like in, like a bitter, like I I have an ordinary bitter on right now. I will let that dry out. Like I'll let that go all the way to about 10, 10. 
But if I'm doing something like a mild in which I want to keep that alcohol low, but like I want to keep those flavors in it, I'll usually mash a lot warmer so that, you know, it'll, it'll finish out around like 10, 14. It's nice to know like where it finishes and like, yeah, where I can start slowing it down. Or if, you know, like a, like a bitter's not drying out enough, I know to, you know, I can ramp the temperature to try to squeeze out those last few points. So now when you say mash and warmer, what temperature are you usually aiming around when you're mashing in? If I'm if I want it to really dry out, I'll do like 149. If if I want some, mm-hmm. if I want like a decent amount of body left, I'll usually do about 155. Okay. Especially for my mild, that's that's what I keep on pretty often. For the most part, like I, I I brew mostly low ABV beers just because they're they're easier to get through mm-hmm. for for the most part, and they're just nice to have around the house. And if like if I'm like mindlessly having a pint, like you know like working out in the garage, or working out in the yard, it's nice to have something low low ABV, yeah. you know like four or five, you know four four and a half percent. Because this winter, this past winter, I did a, I did a winter warmer at like seven and a half percent. Man, it was a uh, it was a battle to get through three gallons of that. <laughs> just call me over. I should call James because he'll do <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I was just gonna say like we're gonna experiment with the party guile style of trying to get a lower ABV beer from a bigger beer. So I had brewed a barley wine for the first time and also a winter ale that ended up being around 8.5% and the other one was 11%. So we're trying to get like little beers from big beers, but it seems like I'm just brewing the big beers and just kind of saying, well, I think they're good, so I'll just stick with that. But Yeah, that's that's really efficient if you got got two two that big of beers like out of, out of a party guy also um but, but english beers like really do it lends itself well to uh two party guys like you can get like a third version down like you can do like a uh i mean if you do like a if you do a mash afterwards like if you do a, another partial mash afterwards you can go from like barley wine you know down to english porter and then like down to a mild yeah yeah i think that's where i'd really like utilize the grains to try and get the most out of them. I think that's where I'm kind of struggling to say, well, I'm getting rid of these grains. I'm like, you know what? I, if I could get two beers out of this and not have significant time where I don't have to totally re-clean everything, I think the the mild is a great beer to get as like a table beer, like you were saying. And I've never brewed one before, so I think it's definitely an interesting style that I think is coming coming back as people want a lower ABV beer. Yeah, I mean, I'm even seeing it more locally in some of our craft breweries. I, I think there there was one point where there was like three on at once, and that was astronomical. That was that was amazing to me that that that, that there was a market for it, you know, because you know Americans we love our we love mm-hmm. our big beers, we love our big you know hoppy arms race. So you know, yep. to see to see local breweries, you know, kind of take that chance and go for a low ABV style that's like not so in your face. It was kind of refreshing to see that that there is a market for that. Yeah, has your passion for those the British and lower ABV beers inspired you in your decision to enter homebrewing competitions at all, or kind of what was your impetus to decide to to enter? Impetus. Ooh, that's a big Ooh. word. Big words today, James. That, that is a good word. Damn. Um, <laughs> honestly, when it when it came to competitions, I I've really come around. I would say in the past two years, uh, when I when I first started brewing, I, I had no interest in, in competitions at all. I, uh, it was like the one thing that I did that like, wasn't competitive. Like all, like all my other hobbies are kind of competitive. I'm like, I just want to do this, Mm -hmm. you know, just for me, just like for me and my friends. And I had heard like the horror stories about, you know, getting judging sheets back and, Mm -hmm. you know, some guys like, oh yeah, I ordered, I entered this as a Bohemian Pilsner and a Marzen. And, you know, they, 
you know, they both got like Mark's back to style. And I'm like, no one's going to tell me, <laughs> you know, about, about my brewing. But I, I really come around on it. And it's, it is a great way to get impartial feedback because mm-hmm. I, I think I've even heard you two talk about this before. Like, you know, you're giving beer to your friends and they're like, oh, this is great. And you're like, but is it or is yeah. <laughs> it because you could give me free beer? Yeah. Definitely humbling, right? And especially when you don't get that feedback, you crave for the feedback, but then you're also scared at what it's going to be, but it's only going to make a better beer. Exactly. Yep. No doubt. So, I mean, I've, I want to say maybe I've, I've only entered like 12 beers, but like those are recipes that I was really, really honed in on, really felt good about and did and got and like really got some great feedback and and did I like, got, you know, got a decent amount of positive. I had some in the low forties, I had some in the high thirties. So it really, I'm, I'm glad that I did. I'm glad I like kind of put myself out there in terms of, you know, competition, but yeah, it, it I, it took me a while to come around on the idea. I mean, even to the point where I got talked into becoming a BJCP judge. So I'm studying for the exam now. So I was, I went from like firmly anti-competition to <laughs> all in. I'm going to, I'm going to be a judge here. So you can be talked into like, it. Now right, I'll but... tell you about your beer. So you don't tell me about mine. I'll tell you about yours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, now as the competitions, did they come before you took your beers to some festivals? Can you kind of talk about how you got involved in festivals? If there's any specific ones that you've been to just kind of talk about what it's like to serve your beer at a festival. The one that really got me into it's just called North Hills Brew Fest. It's just a, it, it's kind of a smaller one with that same friend who you know who showed me how to brew in, in 2016. What, what's like, yeah, the homebrewer's name? You got to name drop him here. Oh, Eric Ryberg, great great friend of mine, wonderful human, makes some of the best hazies that that mm-hmm. I've ever had in my whole life. So that's a good friend to him. have. That's a good friend to have, Eric. I love hazies too. Just saying. We text back and forth, pick each other's brains. So. Yeah, it's good, good, good to have a friend like that. But uh, no, festivals are fest- like so we we have a really good festival scene. I guess would be, be the way to put it. We uh, actually so many that I can't even I can't even go to them all. And there's there's so many good ones around here. Is that because the state allows any home brewer like if there's a festival, you just sign up and you bring your beer, or what's like what's it like? How do you get into in at least in Pennsylvania? What's that state like for being able to serve your beer at a festival? Yeah, I mean, for as strict as the liquor laws are in Pennsylvania, we have we have some very weird blue laws here regarding alcohol. But no, serving at a festival is literally sign up, bring bring your kegs, bring your jockey box, you know, decorate your booth and 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 pour. So what really kind of got me in into festivals was there, there's there's three types of brewing that that I say that I do all the time. Like one is like my private consumption brewing. It's like my low ABV beers. It's like what I want to keep on on tap. You know, it's like what I want to pint of like while I'm at home. There's competition beers which like. You, you want to brew to style. Like you don't want to get too wild or like too, you don't want to paint too far outside the lines. Mm-hmm. And then festival beers are just fun. Like you can go nuts with festival beers. You can paint outside the lines as much as you want because people are coming to your, to these festivals, like for an experience. I mean, as much as, as much as I love like an ordinary bitter, like a, you know, 3.5% beer, uh, you know, that's not as fun, you know, to, to, to find at a festival. So yeah, I mean, so you can you can really get creative with your recipes. You kind of you know you want to you want to make a big impression. So that's where I'll do like a number of my sours, barrel aged beers. I've done a like a honey kolsch, like a kolsch with with local honey and some honey malt. So yeah, you can get you can get you can get fun with your festival beers because people are paying for their festival ticket. You you want to make yep. sure they get get their worth out of the cost of the admission. Definitely. Do you have a beer that you? kind of consistently bring to the festivals that people ask for or have you noticed if one style is more popular over another 
I generally always do a sour. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Shannon would be like first in line because she's every festival we go to. She's like, all right, who's got the sours? I don't see any sours. Why doesn't anyone have any sours? They all got hazies, hazy, hazy, hazy IPA. And that's exactly the reason is because like, I know everyone's going to bring out their best hazy. So usually these festivals are in the summertime. It's warm. It's hot out. So like there is something about a sour, like a, you know, even just like a Berliner Weiss, just it's like perfect on those, on those mm-hmm. warm days and something to like break up the, you know, everyone's, again, everyone's bringing out their best IPA. So yeah. something to, you know, to break that up. Have you ever messed around with uh, like Philly sour or sour VCA? I have not. We have not brewed a sour. They make me nervous. I will yeah. drink them all day, but I'm nervous to try one. And I think oh, it's, no. I think I, like I think I've hyped it up too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With with that sour VCA, it's a, the, the new. Uh, it's like a Lalamon strain. It's honestly just like any other ale yeast. I mean, you you, you treat it in there. It, you you drop it. You you make your beer. It drops the pH to like three point one before it starts actually fermenting out alcohol. And it's you don't have to worry about like cross contamination or anything. Oh. Like it's totally clean yeast. So I mean, just clean out your fermenters, and you don't have to worry about you know contaminating your next batch. So it's Hear that, uh, James. Yeah, it's really I'm making it's really a note. Open up the door to, I mean, you have enough fermenters now that are yours. So sure. by all means, if you want to uh, experiment and potentially cross-contaminate your fermenter, I won't be mad. It's your fermenter. Well, Clayton says I'm not going to cross-contaminate, so I'm going to take his <laughs> oh, word man, for it. Oh, man, Clayton, you're doomed. <laughs> Shannon's got you saying it's not going to ruin her fermenter. No, no it's, it's, it's really neat. It's a, uh, it's a yeast strain that, that gets like easily outcompeted. So you, you can't co-pitch with it. Say you didn't clean it perfectly, and there was still some of that yeast left in there. The next batch you drop in, whatever yeast you put in, it's, it's going to outcompete yeah. it. So, Good to um, yeah, yeah, it's really neat. It's, it's taken the, you know, cause, I mean, I've done the, I've done the lactose hours and stuff, and it's just so much work. And, yeah you know, keeping that temperature, you know, where it's supposed to be for so long and using a pH, you know, yep. calibrating and you're using your pH meter. This one just does it all for you in one step. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I, I think that's why I haven't tried making one yet. Cause it just seems so much more labor intensive, but that's a good, a good thing to keep in mind. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. That might be your, your start and sour Shannon. Yeah. That might be a good yeast strain to do. James will get so sick of having sours in the house. <laughs> I don't know if it's one sour though. That I can do one sour. I can do one. Okay, more I've than got, one. I've sour, got that on tape too. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, he can help you with one pint, and then you get the other four, yeah. four and a three four. quarter gallons. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You can do the one gallon of sour. We also want to mention. So during COVID, you decided to do some teaching of home brewing over Zoom. Can you kind of talk about that? What's that like? How did you think about it? And how did it turn out? Yeah, it was great. One of my, my side job is I do brewery tours for local breweries. Oh, cool. But obviously during COVID, there were, you know, no breweries open. So in the meantime, we we kind of shifted our, our company to, to mostly online stuff. So uh, one of the things that we offered was homebrewing class. So we partnered with the More Beer Warehouse mm-hmm. in right outside of Pittsburgh. And you know, you bought the program, more beer would ship you, you know, for monster ingredients, you know, your grain, your, your extract, your hops, your yeast and everything. And then you picked a three hour block with, with me. And then we just did, we 
just did like an extract batch over over Zoom. It was a lot. And it was it was a lot of fun. Like people were looking for hobbies over COVID. You know, so I got to be that that you know when we first learned to homebrew. You know, we were looking for someone to kind of show us the ropes, teach us yeah. like all the little things that you know you, you don't know. So I was glad to be that guy for for a lot of people for their for their first batch. So I hope. At the very least, I hope that, you know, I was able to entertain them for a couple hours and they enjoyed their beer. The most I could hope was like, you know, I helped, you know, ignite their their passion for homebrewing. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. And I think what you said is really true of in any hobby, especially homebrewing, getting over that fear of just that first time of, well, I don't know all the terminology in this recipe. The steps seem clear. I don't want to come off as being stupid by asking these questions. It kind of watching someone do it especially as a visual learner you can also pair that with your recipe to have those questions answered without you stumbling and having a bad experience and then not wanting to do the hobby i think it's a great great idea and especially for a company that does brewery tours i think that's a great bridge of kind of finding a way of continuing to share beer with the community and i'm sure it's also the first time that Dogs barking on a Zoom call didn't really bother anybody because you're brewing beer. <laughs> no, 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 at all. Especially once we got to the boil, it was it was kind of a free for all. Just you know, <laughs> we're all sitting there. I'm I'm giving them like as many fun beer facts as I can, but uh, it was just nice to get to know all those people. You know, I mean, I, they, they were from all over the country, all walks of life. That was a good time. And like like I said, I mean, I, I I had my my good buddy Eric. You know, the first time I ever I ever brewed a batch. So I was trying to be that guy to you know, the dozens of people that, that were lucky enough to get, but I was lucky enough to have in my, in my Zoom classes. Gotta pay it forward. I actually like mm-hmm. the way you said that too, because when we started this podcast, where well, we were talking about brewery experiences and you said not want to be that guy, meaning the guy who thinks he knows everything at the breweries and telling the craft breweries what's wrong with their beers and what could be better with their business. But the way you said it is so positive of, I want to be that guy, that guy that shares the knowledge, not projecting knowledge. So I think that's a really great message to start 2023 with, with a home brewer. So that's, that's a great message, Clayton. I might have to use that sometime. Well, yeah, feel feel free to steal that one. (laughs) Like I said, there's, I mean, there's so much to learn. Like I'm really lucky. I have like a lot of good friends and just like, there's a great homebrewing community in Pittsburgh that, you know, you can just bounce all your questions off of and. Everyone is super helpful, so I, it's something I really enjoy about the hobby. Is you know you get your you get your you know gatekeeping snob every once in a while, but mm-hmm. the vast majority of homebrewers are just like such cool people, such salt of the earth humans. That, that that's one of the reasons that I that's one of my favorite things to do. And I think that's one of the reasons we love trying to get homebrewers on this podcast and really a podcast by homebrewers for homebrewers because we want everyone who's got a unique story to just share it and just talk. So yeah. it's just great that you know you joined us today. No, I, I think so. I, I really, I really enjoy your guys' show. So I was, I was, I was tickled pink whenever you guys reached out. And I was like, oh man, you guys, you want to interview little old me? You're not just little old me. You're Clayton. You're Clayton. <laughs> you're Clayton. It's the and, guy. and you're, yeah. you have a great logo as well. So I, I love like talking logos with other homebrewers because it can tell you a lot about the homebrewer of just what their life is like or what they would want their craft brewer to be like without the huge commitment that you know all those brilliant craft uh, brewers have that start a craft brewery so why don't you tell our listeners who haven't been to your instagram page uh what's your logo image and kind of how did it come to be you can check it out at home brews actually you and i have the we have the same logo designer 
Oh. I knew I, I spotted that. brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> No, she she was wonderful. I I uh, just north of or just north of Pittsburgh, Oakmont, as you can imagine by the name. We have a we have a, a lot of beautiful oak trees around here, and I'm embarrassed how little input I gave her. I was just like, I'm like <laughs> I like brewing, and I, like, I want to incorporate like something with my town, and I like these colors. And when she sent that back, I was just I was I was blown away. She barely had to send like any proof yeah. back. Like it was it was it was perfect the first time. Yeah, and I just I, I love it, and it's I get so many compliments on it, and done a million sticker trades and. <laughs> Everyone says how cool the logo is. So I, I wish I could take more credit, but that that is that was all Caitlin. She yeah. is just She's she great. has a she has a talent. The other day James just goes, How does she like think? Like how, how does, does she read, brain work? How does she read my mind? Because uh, my home brewery, Caitlin has just uh, finished doing my Spice City home brewing logo. I had done an original logo in years back and I just wanted it more refined and a little bit updated. And the idea she came back was not only what I had envisioned, but like she went above and beyond. And I was just blown away of like, how did you read my mind of like, I gave you these criteria, these couple things, and then you just blew my mind. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't have like an artistic bone in my body. Like I'll, I'll be the first to admit. Mm-hmm. That's actually why I like homebrewing so much. This is my my little bit of like artistic outlet is that, yep. you know, I can... You know, some some people like to cook. You know, like I like to share my beer. But no, yeah, just just I would love to just get inside her brain and figure out how she she comes up with these. Because I, I feel like like when I'm you know scrolling through Instagram and I look at every other uh, like brewery logo, I'm like, I bet you that's one of hers. Yeah, I, I'm the same way, and I'm like, that's a really cool logo. Let me see who did it. Let me look on their Instagram. Let me scroll down and who designed this because it's got to be Caitlin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, before we wrap up, is there anything else? You, I know you just mentioned your Instagram, but is there anything else you want to plug or any festivals that you have coming up that you're going to be at that folks might want to check out? Um, if you find yourself in the, the Pittsburgh area in early October, uh, Brewing Up a Cure is our large festival, ours as in uh, Troub, which is the Three Rivers Underground Brewers. It's it's one of the two largest uh, homebrewing clubs in in Pittsburgh. The festival benefits the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, I think it's going on its fifteenth year now. Wow, uh, it's fourteen years. But yeah, during that time, uh, you know, they've raised uh, three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for the Cystic Fibrosis oh. Foundation. It's a blast. Uh, everyone really goes all out, like bringing their best beers. There's a you know we do like a VIP time where everyone brings out their like I, I brought my my barrel aged beer there last year. Everyone really pulls out the stops, and. Um, yeah, if you're if you're around in in Pittsburgh in early October, the event's called Brewing Up a Cure. This event was a part of the reason that the the Homebrew Club Troub had won the Radagast Homebrew Club of the Year in 2022, just for the money it raises and the things in the community that the club does. So, real proud to be associated with those people. Yeah, that sounds great. So, all listeners, if you're set in Pittsburgh in early October, you should check it out. Yeah, that that sounds awesome. I would definitely be there if we live closer to Pittsburgh, but we don't. But who knows? Things can happen. Never know what happens. Never know what can happen. I, I hear it's this. Only, good it's only in February, James. That's true. I'm I'm like wow. I, I know I know every city says this about their city, but Pittsburgh is a wonderful beer city. You couldn't do it all in one trip. So, you know, it's if you're tough. looking just to get out of town, it's, yeah. Pittsburgh's beautiful in the fall too. Keep it in mind. <laughs> And especially when, you know, the Patriots now suck, you know, we don't have to worry about any like competition between Pittsburgh and Patriots these days. So we can have a good time and have some brews. Yeah, all that all that animosity is gone. Uh, seriously, it really, it really is like really quick. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week. We really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure talking with you. No, thank, again, thank you so much for having me. I, as I said, I was thrilled when you guys reached out. So yeah, this was really cool. Looking forward to it all week. So. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this week's episode of Double Hot Beat. If you are like Clayton and a home brewer and want to come on our show and tell your story, feel free to shoot us a direct message on our Instagram at Double Hot Beat Podcast. And make sure you follow us at Double Hot Beat Podcast to follow our craft beer adventures, our home brewing, and also see home brewers just like you. And make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. That really helps us find new listeners. This, this has been, been Double, Double Hot Beat. Beat. Catch, Catch you on, on the, the brew side. side. Thank you.